Hello everyone and welcome to our monthly podcast entitled Higher, Faster and for Longer. It is the 10th of October, my name is Louise Summers and I'm joined today by Seamus Lyons and Alex Byrne. With inflation still at the top of the agenda, financial markets remain at the mercy of hawkish rhetoric on monetary policy. Major central banks have promised to act decisively against inflation, even at the expense of economic growth, and both equity and fixed interest markets have responded negatively. Today, we will examine this difficult position for Western central banks and ask where, if anywhere, is off the ramp, and look at the contrasting situation in Japan and China. Seamus, if you could set the scene for us, financial markets markets were certainly struggling as the third quarter came to a close. Hi, Louise. Yeah, interesting times indeed. Having enjoyed a very surprising rally, actually, in equity and bond markets in the midsummer months, markets have again, though, been under severe pressure, really, since probably late August. So equity markets now, they've retraced below their June year-to-date figures. So, you know, some of the key markets down at more than 20, almost 25% in some instances. Bond yields, they're now reaching levels that we haven't seen, actually, since as far back as 2008. So the US Treasury market, you know, the biggest bond market in the world, it's on course for its largest annual fall on record. These moves, they've become even more erratic of late as well. So, you know, particularly in the bond markets, actually, you know, we've seen intraday moves there, which have been very considerable. And the kind of volatility index that's used for bonds is called the move. These are now levels last seen since actually the worst of the COVID-19 outbreak in, in March of 2020. And so what's actually been happening these recent falls? It's the same bad news that's been weighing on markets all year. So it's the story of rampant inflation and the hawkish response to that's bringing out of central banks to deal with it. Two interesting data points came out. You know, if we're looking at inflation, it's the one thing that's worrying markets at the moment. You look at the last two inflation prints, the one in the US and the one in Europe. So in the US, US core PCE, this is the one that the Fed focuses on the most. That came in much higher than expected in the last print. And in Europe, you know, we got inflation now, the CPI there is above 10%. So double digit inflation coming in there as well. You know, with central banks being very adamant in their role, bring down inflation and bring it back under control, no matter what the economic cost, you know, we're looking at a, essentially a path of interest rates being higher and for longer. Yes, thanks for that. U.S. Fed Chair Jay Powell is taking a particularly strong line in inflation, as we know. Could you briefly elaborate as to why conquering inflation is of such importance? Yeah, sure. So indeed, so Jay Powell and actually all the Fed governors as well, they've been very hawkish all year, but they've really ratcheted up their hawkish rhetoric in recent weeks, particularly since the Jackson Hole Symposium in late August. And, you know, at this, they, they mentioned, you know, they're going to keep at it till the job is done. They mentioned that consumers and businesses will need to experience the economic pain in the process. So they've been very kind of negative and hawkish in their communication with market participants. So why is this taming and concrete of inflation so important to the Fed and other central banks? It's because of the damaging economic impacts that inflation can have. Particularly, destroys the purchasing power of households and companies. So, you know, we're hearing a lot right now about the cost of living crisis, how everyone is paying so much more for the same goods and services than they did a year ago. Businesses, they've seen big pressures on their input costs, which have been rising. They're having to pay their staff more. So, obviously, this is not good for their profits, particularly for companies, you know, that aren't able to pass on these higher costs. So, this all in turn diminishes demand and that ultimately weakens the economic growth. And it's for this reason that the central bank's mandates have always been focused on controlling inflation. You know, we just need to go back to previous periods of high inflation, such as the 1970s, to see the damage it did to the economies at that time. So, you know, there's a real sense of urgency right now in the central banks and their behavior in trying to get the situation under control as quickly as they can, which is why you've seen a lot of these big rate rises already in recent months. This is because, you know, the longer inflation stays high, the more ingrained it becomes in people's minds and the more used they get to being paying higher prices and then in turn demanding higher pay increases as well from their employers. 
So this phenomenon, which is captured by people's future inflation expectations, you know, this is something the central bank focuses in on because it wants this to remain anchored or low because otherwise future inflation expectations, if this gets out of control, you know, at least a bit more of a negative spiral and becomes even more difficult to get under control. That's a really helpful description. And to counter inflation, would you say interest rates are the sharpest tool in the central bank toolbox? In short, yes. You know, central banks have a number of tools at their disposal to help fight inflation. However, history shows that raising interest rates is generally the best of these. So it's the most direct and also it's the quickest way to impact the excessive demand that pushes prices higher and hence inflation higher. There is other potential ways to tighten monetary policies to end their quantitative easing, these QE programs that they've been on. You know, so the bond buying programs are quantitative tightening where they actually go out and they start selling off their big vast balance sheet of government bonds. But, you know, these don't tend to be as direct or as effective on the wider economy. And as well, for the case in point, you know, where we are today, the Fed have made it very clear that they are targeting the labor market with their current tightening cycle. The labor market is very, very tight at the moment with unemployment rate near historical lows. They need this picture to weaken in order to reduce demand and hence inflationary pressures. And the quickest way for this is higher interest rates. That's the path we're on. And the Bank of England was wrong-footed recently on this by the sudden crisis in gilt markets. Yes. So this just goes to show how quickly things can escalate when there is nervousness in the markets. As panic gripped the UK bond market, you know, we saw big, massive upward moves in, in the yields there. You know, the Bank of England was forced to offer huge support as a backstop buyer of long-dated guilds or government bonds. You know, it worked and the situation is calmer for now at least. But, you know, there's an irony here as well. So this is essentially is a form of monetary stimulus. You know, when you go out and buy bonds and help lower yield, this loosening financial conditions. And um, this is in direct opposition to what they've been trying to do in recent months by raising interest rates, which they've been doing for much of the year. They were the first of the major developed banks to begin to raise their interest rates. So having been removing monetary stimulus for such a period of time now, they began to reverse course, shall we call it, which is probably not what they planned to do, but they had to step in. They did. And you mentioned monetary stimulus there. Was the Bank of England's action ironically itself inflationary? Yeah, yeah, essentially. It was a very unusual situation. And it was in direct response, actually, to you know what was a near-term crisis. The crisis was very much linked to the structure of the UK pension and LDI market. These are the main investors in the long-dated gilts. And market technicals were driving yields higher in a very unsustainable fashion. And a key role of any central bank and the Bank of England is market stability. So they needed to step in to ensure the proper function of their bond market. And so that's what they did. Whilst it may have driven yields lower in the short term, which obviously didn't help the inflation picture, they are now actually expected to have even bigger interest rate rises than they probably were forecasted to do beforehand. So this will obviously, when they do these big interest rate hikes in the future, this will have a dampening effect on financial conditions and ultimately get back to their job of trying to tame inflation. And despite this glitch, though, the intention of the Western central banks is clear. Aggressive measures to bring inflation under control. The contrast could not be more stark between this policy and what we are seeing in the Far East. Alex, remind us of recent statements from the Bank of Japan. Thanks, Louise. Yeah, the BOJ, the Bank of Japan, remains unmoved and unchanged by other central banks' actions around the world. We have got inflation in Japan, but unlike the 9 to 10% we've seen in the US, the UK and Europe, in Japan we've got inflation of only 3%. Although that's above the 2% target of the BOJ, it's nowhere near the level we see in the West. The BOJ continues to be steadfast in its continuation of its ultra-loose policy for two or even three years in broad terms. Although in that time, there could be some adjustment to their yield curve control, which is a limit on the range on yield of Japanese debt, moving up to 0.25%, for instance. 
In addition, because of the differential between the BOJ and the Fed, we've also seen in the past few weeks the BOJ step into the currency market, supporting the yen from crashing further. We also have to remember that Japan is not coming from the same position as Western central banks are. They've seen deflation and years and years of low or no inflation. They don't necessarily want to kill completely inflation and its stem now. And as we've noted before, China has recently been trimming interest rates. Indeed, but again, as a response to local conditions. Lockdowns due to zero COVID policy, restraining demand, ongoing difficulties in the property sector, but also globally, the slowdown which has affected trade has exacerbated the situation in China. There has been ongoing easing through many channels in China, as well as warnings and restrictions designed to stop the issues there getting worse. And looser monetary policy in these two major Asian economies is being played out in the currency markets. Yeah, that's right. There are clear fundamental reasons for the US dollar to be at a 20-year high versus these and other currencies. First and foremost, it comes down to interest rate differentials. If the Fed is raising interest rates aggressively, that draws capital flows into the dollar, where the return is far superior from other currencies. Indeed, we saw a record fall in foreign exchange reserves in Japan last month as they attempted to support their own currency, the yen. Similar attempts were seen from China, but the currency market dynamics are just too strong to keep that dollar from rising. And the result of a rising dollar, given that most global commodities such as energy and industrial metals are priced in dollars, is that other economies outside the US are importing higher inflation? Yeah, the rise in dollar certainly compounds the inflation problem, especially on energy and materials, which are the epicenter of rising inflation globally. Given that focus on energy, the other knock-on impact this has had is the tightening effect on financial conditions and therefore growth. Owing to this, but also simply geography and politics, the US can be seen to be slightly more weathered for financial slowdown and the impending recessions that are coming. Another reason perhaps for the way things have played out in the currency market. Yes. So Seamus, how do you see this playing out? Indeed, financial conditions are tightening right now for many reasons. And Western central banks, they're treading a very difficult path to try and reduce inflation without causing severe recessions. So the key question is, can they continue with their current rate rising cycles? The Fed are very adamant in their communications. You know, certainly they've been very hawkish in their resolve. You know, markets are always on the lookout for a pause in their policy or potentially a pivot, a Fed pivot, as mentioned by Manny. If we do begin to see increasing signs of a deeper or you know more long-lasting recession, you know as we go into next year, policy might just have to be adjusted accordingly, even if the inflation picture is not yet where central banks want it to be. So this is going to be the key dynamic that's going to drive markets probably next weeks and months. It's something that worries everybody. That's really interesting. In the light of all of this, then, Seamus, what adjustments have we made to our tactical asset allocation? Despite the market falls, you know, and the weaker outlook now priced in, we still continue to be defensively positioned. So, you know, we're still on the weight equities and bonds. You know, whilst markets probably will enjoy some sporadic bounces here and there, you know, from oversold levels, we still expect these to be kind of short-lived in nature and for the overall trend of the market to be downward in direction. Within equities, we still like US relative to Europe. We just see such a bleak winter ahead for Europe where energy is going to be a big headwind there. We continue to make stay on the way bonds, you know, primarily Euro government bonds. We just think the ECB is still behind the curve here. They have to deal with record levels of inflation, which shows no sign of abating and pressure on their yields is going to remain in place. We have actually been looking at other areas of the bond market of late, you know, high yield, emerging market debt. These now look very attractive following significant rises this year that we've seen in the yields and the spreads. But we just feel it's still too early to add any risk here, given the economic outlook. So for us, actually, cash remains king at the moment. It's the safest place in the environment where both bonds and equities remain under pressure. So, you know, we're happy to kind of sit a bit more defensively still. Interesting times ahead. Thank you both very much indeed. Thanks, Louise. Thank you, Louise.